Hi, my name is Ozzy Jurok. I'm the host of OzBuzz, where we interview eclectic and successful people in and around the real estate umbrella. And today I'm really pleased to have with us a very unique specialist who specialized in high-end luxury properties. His name is Baxter Welch. Welcome, Baxter. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me there, Oz. Excited well, to be here. I look forward to talking to you. You have a team of five. You've been at this for some eight years, and you probably have a chance to see some of Vancouver's most known people every day. Yeah, including you. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's been an interesting ride for sure. When I first got into the business, it was definitely uh, more just uh, you know renting for you know, one bedrooms, two bedrooms, etc. And then uh, as kind of business progressed and stuff, yeah, you start entering into some interesting lease contracts, and you're meeting with interesting individuals who you know happen to own plenty of property here in Vancouver, etc. So you start running into some uh, call it interesting characters and um, and individuals that you know obviously are uh, pretty reputable here in Vancouver. So it's been a both, it's been both a fun good ride. and bad, I presume. Yeah. Uh, plenty of stories on each. So depending on how long this goes for, I'm happy to get into both, but um, I'll leave well, out names. But The big you know. thing is we always see real estate statistics, right? The numbers come out from the board yes. uh, and these generalizations, vacancy rates are 2%. Or, and really when you drill down in, uh, for instance, the purpose-built rental building have a much higher vacancy rate uh, that you can't generalize it, but particularly in your field, where independent owners make independent decision on multi-million dollar properties, you can't really generalize. It's a totally different conversation. So yeah, like you'll, I'll get people who will walk through and be like, oh, I heard interest rate or well, like vacancy rates are at 0.9%. Um, well, that's true. But I mean, again, to your point, it's just like, well, if I'm an apartment building complex, uh, that might very well be the case. But you know, that's a very specific kind of property that we're dealing with. Um, and to your point, when we're walking through a place that's $3 million at the Shangri-La in downtown here in Vancouver, there's a different market. Um, you know, it's a different kind of rent, it's a different kind of clientele. And uh, you definitely as an agent have to almost kind of bridge that gap between kind of perception and reality. And um, unfortunately, with how the news works a lot of the time, it just goes completely unreported. And, um, and so you almost have to, yeah, just kind of educate them and the gap can be quite large at times uh, between where people thinking the market's at versus where it might actually be. So I guess both on the side of the seller and the side of the buyer. 100%. The seller has yeah. expectations and... Oh, 100%. Yeah, well, in the, with the rental market in general with whom I deal with, I mean, so many of the people I'm running into are people who have just sold. You know, they've just had an experience within the sales market. Um, it's their first time renting and they have no idea, bless them. But they're just, you know, it's like, okay, well, uh, how does this all work? And um, whether that's walking them through an application or, or trying to wrap their head around spending five to fifteen thousand dollars a month for you know a nice unfurnished you know accommodation um, here in downtown Vancouver, for example, or in any of the other kind of closer by jurisdictions. So it's it's a process. Yeah. So the it's of course clearly you have to if you're dealing with exclusive properties, you're also looking for the tenant to be. Uh, a special kind of tenant. It is nothing worse than a tenant from hell in any kind of a property, but particularly at the upper end, I guess. Yeah, I, I tell clients all the time, I'm essentially a Brita filter. Um, so relationships work with the owners is that you want to make sure that you're, you're incentivized to bring in, you know, someone who you would rent to your, like rent yourself, right? And uh, if you have a bad experience or something like that, or if you, you know, you skip on the checks or the diligence, 
uh, you're just going to eat it and you're taking such a big risk with it. So, you know, when people are asking you to fill vacancies for property that's worth two, three, four, five million dollars plus, um, you really take that with a, uh, you know, a certain level of um, responsibility and trust and understanding that, you know, it's your job to ensure that the people who are moving in are gainfully employed, have great credit, are financially viable, um, have references and, um, you know, you just you you really want to make sure that that's done properly. So yeah, it's it is a process every time. Everything's different, and you run into a lot of characters in that process, as you can imagine. Um, you know that uh, that might not necessarily be a good fit um, for for the home. And I can't tell you how many times I'll run into clients, and unfortunately, they've already had a rental experience. And I walk in, and they say, "Well, they seemed like a nice guy." But as I say, it's like, look, I don't get paid to say, well, he seemed nice. I have to make sure that I have a diligence file filled out every time. Um, you know, so uh, there's a different just process in general with that whole thing. Well, and that's the key. To me, there's, there's nothing like you know, for the rent to get it now and then have a huge problem later is silly. I'd rather keep the place vacant. In my rental properties, I'd rather have it vacant two months to get the sure. right person there for a long time because we all have been so, there even at the lower yeah. end, I mean, so, okay, so, you know, has the, the, the province uh, with its speculation tax and Vancouver with its vacant home tax, has that brought in new rental properties for the absentee owner, or particularly the overseas owner that all of a sudden at least, I mean, on a $5 million house, the 3% vacant home tax, if you don't have a tenant for six months, well, that's $15,000. And then if you add a speculation tax of, maybe 2%, all of a sudden you have a $25,000 bill plus your property tax, plus your common area costs and so on. Yeah, it's, it's funny how quickly that assets are turning into a liability once the government starts putting in their um, into their policies. Uh, yeah, no, it's um, it's been interesting. Um, I think at first the, I mean, I hate getting political, but you know, a lot of the, um, uh, like anything, I feel like a lot of these policies are kind of like feel good policies. Um, you know, to a degree, it's not to say that they don't completely work, but, you know, I feel like foreign buyers tax or, yeah, like vacancy tax here in Vancouver, for example, um, you know, n everyone wants to make sure that there's a healthy rental supply. And um, what ends up happening, of course, with this taxation is, is like, it kind of gets the low hanging fruit. And I think it it's done its job to the degree that it can. Um, you know, I think the vast majority of people were in compliance uh, last year. We're talking about a very small percentage of individuals who are opting to have their place go vacant. And within that percentage, I'm sure there's a variety of kind of special circumstances in there because to pay, as you can imagine, some significant, you know, tax burdens beyond your property taxes every year and all the other costs associated with holding on to property, uh, makes no sense, right? And so I think a part of that taxation did end up getting, it shook some property out onto the market, but I really don't think it, it, I mean, speaking from experience, like it certainly, there wasn't this like plethora of property that just kind of came online and was like, oh my God, this is so easy now. Um, because the vast majority of people, especially like if you own like call it an asset that, uh, you know, you bought a, uh, a future development um, property, for example, a corner lot on Canby Corridor or something like that. I mean, you're waiting for permits for a couple of years anyways. The property's not exactly the Shangri-La or the Hotel Georgia or whatever. And so because that's the case, you know, why would you have a vacant, right? You might as well have somebody in there. And so 
you know, only in specific circumstances um, would I say that that's kind of worked. And certainly from it going from call it 1% to 2% to now like three, um, you're not really getting, you know, additional people coming to clients because the people who are paying, I think is like a one-time thing anyways. And we're certainly not getting it a huge inventory load uh, as a result of the taxation. Um, I would say just as a snippet, but the reason why we have the rental compression and the issues surrounding with, you know, how expensive rents are, et cetera, has more to do with the general supply. You know, it's not like you and me who buy property and like opt to rent out their places is the reason why rents are so high. It's just, there's not a lot of rental supply, yeah. right? You know, and- um, Same at so the upper I, end, right? In the luxury- you know, For sure, right? It's just like, you know, it's, it's not like a bunch of people who bought $5 million condos. It's like, oh, that's why rents are high. Because <laughs> I mean, we're talking about rents that are so beyond, you know, the normal, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like I'm renting, I rented something out the other day, it's 13,000 bucks a month, you know, to the client. That makes complete sense because I mean the asset's four and a half million dollars, and you know for the tenant, um, you know it's all relative and things worked out well, and, you know made sense to them. But that's not, you know, when you're reading like oh my god rents are so high and the, you know the charts are going up, that's not what's really impacting, um, you know the the numbers because that doesn't even get counted, right? It's kind of like a separate market altogether, and so of course those people end up paying for the policies that, um, you know get implemented here and I don't want to throw names or issues. Is that, but is that what you see in general that, that uh, rents are higher than they were say a year ago or two years ago? About uh, and that's actually a great question because it's, it's oh man, it's, we're just diving in. Um, so yes, no, and maybe. Uh, there's basically really depends on what product you're dealing with. So for example, studios and one bedrooms. And again, I hate just bringing in just downtown Vancouver, but it's just, it's just seems to be like everyone knows it. So we'll just use it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, anyway, so yeah, so basically just one bedrooms and studios, for example, last year, you saw a massive exodus. You definitely saw plenty of people, uh, figure after the pandemic kind of got rolled out. Um, you know, wow, this is a really tight space. And if I'm living, I mean, with a spouse or something like that, and you guys are both working from home, that is a very different dynamic. Um, you know, all of a sudden, uh, that you're having to deal with. And so, yeah, we saw plenty of people like leave the city, um, you know, tertiary markets like Maple Ridge, Salt Spring, Sunshine Coast. Um, I've been to all those places and I can tell you, you know, in the long run, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how they might crunch that in a November, December, January kind of thing. Um, don't get me wrong, beautiful places to be in the summertime, but there was definitely, uh, you know, a big shift. And so then we saw, interestingly, two bedrooms, two bedrooms plus dens and threes really kind of come into their own. Um, people were justifying spending a little more and of course having to compete and thusly also bring up pricing a bit for those kinds of um, that kind of product uh, because of that extra space. And, um, you know, obviously they're not having to, you know, go into work. There's less costs involved. Um, you know, there's a variety of reasons why they're able to kind of justify that work was also compensating them from having to work from home. There's tax uh, benefits as well, for that kind of thing. So that's also kind of caused that trying to drive up for bigger size spaces. And for ones in studios, you saw lots of vacancy last year. And even today, it's still not recovered. It's, it's, it's coming back, certainly, especially right. since the kind of the phase three, the local rollout here uh, with the, um, you know, vaccination policies getting to a certain level. Fantastic. But, um, but there's still the show. Yeah, and then it's area specific around UBC or any kind of a school. Uh, yeah. The vacancies are larger, and of course, it's not oh. the same. But at the upper end, would you say that 
rents have gone up. Let's say in the Shangri-La, you mentioned, let's say it's a $5 million property. Was any marked difference between last year, this year, or just simply property by property? It's, you know what? It's been pretty, I would say, for using the Shangri-La as an example, I would say that's something that's been pretty um, uh, neutral. Uh, I feel like, um, you know, furnished versus unfurnished is a much different conversation to be had there because the dynamics of the, of the pandemic really start kind of like showing them, uh, you know, like showcasing itself. Um, so, so I would say neutral on the high end, but like for high end houses. So for example, on the West side, uh, there's been a massive compression and so no one can get a West side house. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, that has, to, I mean, I can get into that, but there's, depending <laughs> on the kind foreigners, of product. Foreigners wanting that or is it locals getting that? Or? Locals, locals, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting dynamic, but basically <laughs> what we've seen with this sales market is, um, you know, you're fully aware of. Um, but in Vancouver, you know, in the last uh, while, it's certainly been a much stronger sales market. And, um, you know, the rental market and the sales market are very correlated in the sense of like what people are looking for doesn't really change. So for example, West Side homes are bigger spaces. Uh, people considering houses um, and not having to deal with elevators, et cetera, um, have definitely come into its own. And uh, you're seeing people who are selling product that would usually be within the rental, prod uh, the rental you know, pool. Um, after spending years in it and renting it out, but not necessarily having a market that might justify liquidating. Now we're at that stage. And so we're seeing products selling. So think of it like there's like a total pool of inventory right here, right? And now we're kind of eroding the amount of uh, inventory that would normally be within this, um, you know, total inventory list. And then, and here's what's interesting. What's happening is, is now you're getting people who have sold. Right, we we have clients that we've been selling for, uh, we have clients that we've been purchasing for, and it's been very frustrating depending on what kind of product you're buying, um, because there's just like a big laundry list of people who are right outside the door when things come up for sale, etc. And it's frustrating because it's like depending on what it is you want it. Anyways, so what ends up happening is that when you sell a home and you're looking for something, call it in the same neighborhood, etc., same-ish product, you're thinking in a normal sales market, okay, I'll just sell something and I'll purchase something, not a problem. Well, it is a big problem right now because there's not enough inventory that pops up. And so when you're looking for something and you've just sold, well, you're not going to risk the completion, right? So now you're like, oh, cool shit, I'll just rent. And so if you go and rent, um, you would normally think there's plenty of places out there for me, no problem, um, except there's not. So because everyone's doing that. And so now, yeah, plus you're competing with the existing kind of historical rental pool of people who would normally be renting and not buying. And so you're having people who are entering into the market that historically were never there. You're having a like a reduced inventory load um, for a variety of reasons, but one of them obviously being a very strong sales market. And now you have a real pinch. And now that that's happened, uh, when you do list things, you're often getting premiums for your West Side homes right now, just using the West Side as an example. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, something more contemporary designed, you're going to get lots of people showing up. Um, none of those kind of like, you know, pre you know 1940 style homes that are probably going to be redeveloped etc lots of people looking for that kind of like so relatively you furnished versus unfurnished so i presume the furnished one sometimes is the, the short-term rental or the and the vacant uh, unfurnished is long-term well what is the average length of time is there such a thing as an average length of time? there is um i mean anecdotally but from my almost eight years of experience here at the brokerage, I can tell you that furnished rentals by their nature, obviously shorter term in general, 
I would say they're probably between three and eight months on average. Um, and again, it skews between depending on um, the kind of product that you're renting out. So for example, a furnished house um, might skew a little more towards a corporate relocation with a family that's being popped on over, um, you know, from one locale to another. Whereas a, you know, because uh, we've just been beaten uh, the Shangri-La to a dead horse situation here. Let's use the Shangri-La. That'll be something where it's like, hey, I was in the market for maybe a hotel, but you know, I'm going to be here for like three months, two and a half months. I'm here on some sort of work uh, situation, or maybe I'm here um, on some sort of just even visiting or tourism, etc. Um, you're going to justify basically that longer term, um, but without having that issue where the hotel rates on that nightly would be so much astronomically higher that I can go with there. So you really are dealing with two kind of different individuals. Um, and so that's, that's what you're going to run into. So three to eight months, I would say on, on average, what you're, you're dealing with, with exceptions, of course, being shorter term, where you're going to lose that to Airbnbs, Verbos, oh. uh, hotels, et cetera. And the longer term being um, kind of outside that normal range uh, for people who are looking for longer term stays. But well, then Vancouver has really stopped the Airbnb unless you live in it yourself. Yes. Right? So, so that, yes. that has uh, also put on into the, the short-term rental pool. What about the longer term? If somebody wants to rent two or three years, what is, um, what is, what is the desire from the owner? Are the owners mostly looking for short-term rentals? Or is, is there such a thing as a generalization? Or? Uh, it depends on the owner. Um, you know, like if, you, if this is your own assets, so for example, like you're living in your own home and you're having to go and, and, and for whatever reason, be away for an extended period of time, um, you're going to want to, you know, you're, you're usually dealing with a shorter term, uh, you know, requirement. And, um, you know, if that's something that uh, you're gone for short term, then you're trying to rent for short term, you're gone for longer term, et cetera. Uh, whereas people who own multiple assets, so, you know, homes that they've purchased that, uh, you know, are for development or just general capital appreciation, et cetera, um, you're going to deal with people who are looking for longer term, uh, you know, requirements in general. Unfurnished homes, minimum terms can be 12 months. Um, no one moves into a square footage of north of 2,000, 3,000 square feet with the idea they're going to move out in sort of tw uh, 12 months with rare exceptions. Um, and, uh, and so a lot of time now, especially with the tenancy laws um, and how they've changed since this new government's come in. And again, I don't, I could, I could speak to this for hours. Um, <laughs> And I could just, you know, bore you on this whole thing, but it, it is interesting if you get into the weeds with it. But the short of it is, is that now you're getting people who are now looking to lock in for multiple years, way more so than we've had historically. And um, so you're getting lots of families who are saying, you know what, I've just been kicked out of my place because uh, the place has been put up for sale and the buyers are looking to move in. Um, demolition permits have come through. Um, you know, a variety of things have occurred where basically there's been an interruption to my, um, you know, enjoyment, et cetera, um, but, you know, within reason. Yeah. And so now I'm going to need to move. I got kids going to a school catchment. I want to stay around, et cetera. And so people are locking in for two to three years if they can find something that's going to work for them. And I'm seeing that way more now uh, than I ever have. What, 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 what government, I don't want to put you on the spot, but what landlord issues with the tenancy branch in particular, you think is it harder to move people in and out or what is exactly is... Uh... Is you know what? I think we should do a, a part two series. I think uh, <laughs> a totally different thing. If you want to have me back on, because honestly, like it's 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 um, you know doing this for eight years and seeing actually how the rules have changed over time. And you know, every year there's always some 
input here or there, et cetera. But, um, you know, I think as many of your viewers know, um, there definitely is, I think, a rightful bias towards the idea that, you know, it is much more tenant centric uh, here in British Columbia. And unfortunately, uh, the policies that the government puts in place, um, it's kind of a one size fits all situation, um, which I think is a big problem because uh, there are loopholes and other circumstances that using the exact same rules can basically when applied then um, can basically run into a much different result and or certainly an adverse one that I personally would see unfair or, or you know um, not justified and the thing is is that I think the policies need to come more in line with understanding that developers and landlords are your best friend in a situation where you don't have enough rental supply Sure. And making their lives, I mean, I know it's simple, but like, um, I mean, who wants you know, to be a landlord when you look at the multitude of taxes, you know, we, oh, I mean, not, not just on the luxury, sure. in any market, you know, we had a condo at $800,000 condo on Camby Street had 22% in taxes by the time the development fees and everything was included. I mean, the mm -hmm. government has the, it's the biggest one with their hands out almost everywhere. Well, so the longer term tenant, then also you need a lease, right? Uh, yes. I think there's a lease if it's over three years, it even has to be registered at the land registry office. Is that correct? Uh, you know, we've never had to do that. We typically don't enter into leases beyond three years with okay. very, very few exceptions. Um, and the reason is just because, you know, we want to lock, uh, you know, for our clients, we want to make sure that we keep the asset in good shape at all times, right? Mm -hmm. And when we find qualified individuals, that's great, et cetera. But when we start doing kind of like four or five year leases, which, you know, sometimes you'll get an exception. So for example, like consulates um, are, are a perfect yeah. example. Yeah. They're here on diplomatic missions. I deal with a lot of them. Um, and but they uh, generally you know, have a clause that they can move. They uh, do. I know I helped the German consul twice to consuls move into, uh, you know, very expensive uh, surroundings. Yeah. But they have, a, have to have a clause in the owner takes a chance with a month's notice it's just one yeah there's the typical consulate stuff is actually a 60-day one which i always find yeah. funny because it's actually in the event of uh basically canada yeah. whatever the country is yeah. severing diplomatic relations uh that they get <laughs> to determine the lease yeah. which is like okay well i think we're gonna have bigger fish to fry if that's a problem right you know but so the whole idea um, of I, the you know, i laugh at that the lease you have to have an expert structure long-term lease you have to certainly have yes. to have a an expert yes. do a, a furnished rental lease. I mean, the whole thing, there's a lot of work involved. You have to walk through everything and put everything down in writing, isn't it? Well, that's where we come in, right? It's making sure that the landlords are protected effectively. Um, uh, one of the things I run into a lot is is, is two, two, two issues, uh, specifically when I'm dealing with the landlord who's maybe done it themselves before. One is that they don't protect themselves at all. So they just sign a lease, that's it, and you're like, there's a lot of other terms that perhaps you might want to kind of specify out um, that are importantly, um, you know, legal within the framework of the Tenancy Act here in British Columbia. Um, and it will blow you away how many times I either get people who just haven't done a lease or have done one, but like insufficiently. Sure. Um, and so then we come in and then obviously, you know, rectify the situation. The others, uh, the other one I run into a lot of, um, which is also kind of an interesting aspect is, uh, landlords that basically enter into lease agreements but with incredibly convoluted addendums that 
um, basically get into the weeds of everyday life that effectively are not enforceable uh, within the Tenancy Act confines. And so what we do is basically ensure that the landlord is uh, as protected as possible, but within the confines that are actually enforceable in the event of there ever being an arbitration or a dispute between ourselves and the tenant. And so that's, of, that's the trick. There are a lot of arbitrations at the upper end. Uh, it's not common. Um, a lot of that has to do with our screening process. Um, you know, not to you know, toot our own arm, but you know, it's not a, it's not something we run into often, I would say. Um, but it is something that we run into enough where um, I've been through enough to understand where the trip ups happen. Um, you know, when a tenant might have an opinion about how things should be versus how things are. Um, sometimes there requires to be a bit of a bridging of that gap I've been talking about. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so long as you have everything documented down, I mean, the onus for the landlord in an arbitration is so, it's so high. So the, but the issue, I think one of the bigger things, and again, come, you know, invite me back for a second part series of a, like a 10 part thing here, but with, with the problem with a lot of the stuff, as far as the tenancy act is concerned for landlords is that it basically, um, requires a landlord to know the absolute ins and outs Sure. of how the rules work yeah. and it's kind of like in baseball you know how tie goes to the runner well in the tenancy act if you don't have you don't have everything put together tie goes to the tenant and in many cases that can be a very costly tie yeah so you know depending on what we're talking about so um yeah there's definitely some things that i would love to like get on the groundwork for some sort of framework yeah. of uh you know ways in which we can kind of constructively edit yeah. perhaps the tenancy act and continuously sure. at the real estate action group we get uh, owners saying you know what i didn't realize this guy really you know broke my fridge he did this he disturbed the yeah. floors and whatnot but i didn't give him proper notice afterwards uh, in yeah. writing and uh, <clears throat> so now i didn't do it within 15 days so now he gets his deposit twice back right and you thought it was very 15-day rule <clears throat> that's right. It might be very yeah. unfair, but you've got to know these rules. And I think that's why we need a professional like yourself. I would particularly imagine at the upper end that sort of looks, that looks after all of these clauses. And because not every landlord is, it may be a fabulous guy or girl at their job and make hundreds of thousands of dollars, doesn't mean they need to be an expert, you know, in the legalities of landlord and tenant ownership. Let me ask you something. So let's say, the fellow that had a couple that has five to six thousand dollars, what could they get for that in Vancouver today, a month? Well, the, the common joke is not much, um, but <laughs> <laughs> it really just it depends on it. All comes down to product, right? You know, five or six thousand bucks um, can get you a very nice two bedroom um, in Vancouver. Uh, again, can you say very nice, like at the Shangri La or some major building? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, so basically a hotel residence. Um, Feel like we're plugging the shangri-la like crazy here but like yeah it's um you know uh, that would get you something fairly nice certainly for like a two-bedroom um you would be looking at uh furnished two bedrooms as well within that price point that would be also quite nice how many um, square feet about ballpark? uh you know it really kind of depends on the building um you know there's and again i was getting into this a little bit with you prior but um just you know, when we're going to purchase units on behalf of our clients and stuff, like the the conversation always comes up about like, okay, if I buy this and it's for an investment, I'm looking to rent it, obviously. Um, you know, if I'm looking at building A and building B downtown, there's there's there can be a big difference between what 
either one would rent for the exact same square footage um, based on the cache. The address, maybe the, yeah, the cache. Yes. The yeah, the ad, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you're like going to get Georgian hotel, the Georgian hotel or the, you know, the, some of these major names in the city. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's like, it's like, okay, well, what is a place in Coal Harbor rent for? I can't tell you how like crazy big that question is because it just like, unless we're talking about specifically like what is 1717 Bayshore rent for? Or what is 16, um, 1616 Bayshore go for? And even though those are two very, very close residences, there is a bit of a, da uh, a gap between those. Is it North Face? Is it away from, uh, you know, the streets? Is it looking onto the water? Is it, sure. you know, there's so many things that go into the, but to the price point. But so. you have maybe 1500 to 1500 or so square feet. More. Yeah, right around there. Uh, I would say plus minus two to three hundred square feet uh, north of north of south of town. Let's say I go a little higher. Let's say we now uh, feel richer and it's somewhere between seven to nine thousand. What what can I get? When you made a few more shekels, yeah. So uh, that's when you're going to start getting into um, like in Vancouver. It's such an interesting situation because you know for the rent, you're actually getting yourself into some incredible. Um, like if you were to purchase something, it might cost you six or 7 million bucks, but that same rent is actually between call it seven to 15,000 bucks. So if you're looking at what your monthly bank obligation could be to act, you know, acquire something, call it six, $7 million, it pales in comparison. Um, uh, when pros with the same thing, when you're saying, okay, well, I can rent this thing for nine grand and I don't, you know, what's the opportunity cost with all my other liquidity, right? Well, I can put that capital can you, to use elsewhere, is the mortgage covered, you mean? Is that no? Yeah, exactly. Gone are those days. Um, in Vancouver, I want to say right around 2014-15 was right around the cutoff of where we saw prices go well beyond, or at least beyond where we could justifiably rent our places out and cover for all the like the more prototypical thing you might see in like a different market. So for example, like if you were in like Squamish, you might be able to rent out for enough just to cover for property taxes, maintenance fees, etc., the overall cost, the interest, etc. But in Vancouver, the market is very, very different. And um, so much of the rental these days, people aren't buying just to rent those things out. They're, they're renting for a variety of other reasons, but it's not because they're purchasing primarily with the idea of just their cash flow because they're not. So if I had eight or $9,000, I, I can get a substantial good deal. Yes, yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Better than, say, yeah. better, better than say if I bought it and then, by the time I'm in the common area cost, I've seen some of them at 20 grand or the taxes in, in that 20,000 range. So when, when you add all the costs, this isn't just a mortgage that it might be expensive. I mean, clearly if I, if I bought something for 7 million, put 2 million down, that $5 million mortgage has a hefty 14, 15, $17,000 or more uh, mortgage payment, even though you can get the mortgage at a very low rate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think with eight to 12 grand, you're pretty much at the top end of the unfurnished rental market in Vancouver with exceptions. But for the most part, I would say that's kind of the top 20% um, of the market. You kind of give me something spectacular kind of that, that just don't call the building, but what, what have you seen that somebody spends $10,000 a month on or $12,000? And what is it, 3,000 square feet or more? Or yeah, well, a lot more than that. So, I mean, Vancouver leases I've done um, pretty much top out right around 40,000 bucks. Um, you know, you'll you'll go, I mean, actually today. 40,000 a month? Yep. 
Yep. <laughs> what do you get for forty thousand a month a hotel? Well, see your face. Your face says it all. That's the thing, right? So, so often I get people who are like, they'll show up to a place, or you know, they'll we'll be talking and be like, you know, well, who rents who rents twenty five thousand dollars a month or whatever? But you know, you know, everyone comes from different circumstances, and again, it's all relative. So I would say that whole same conversation, right? Like, you know, you don't. You get people who are like, okay, well, who would buy a place for $8 million? But there's plenty of places in Vancouver where that's the case, right? You know, like, and, but that same conversation, it's like, they're paying way more than, than call it 25,000 bucks a month, right? And, um, but people are like, oh, wow, rent, that's so high. But relative to what you're getting yourself into and for the convenience factor and what you're here to do, et cetera, a lot of time it makes a lot of sense. I'm going actually to a place today that's well north of 50,000 bucks a month um for a very specific client but you know that's you know you'll, you'll run into those circumstances where someone needs to that have a place a for house. a certain amount of time that'd be a house or a condo that would that would be a house yes but to your point downtown rentals go up to yeah 25 to thirty-five thousand bucks for sure um at the very high end you're getting we're talking you know four thousand plus square foot hyper private residences um you know, typically furnished, et cetera. So yeah, that's that's more in the kind of a range where you're getting yourself into at that stage, so. And on the west side, the, I saw some houses advertised in the twelve to $13,000 a month range. They're pretty, like, yeah. pretty nice looking houses. Yeah, yeah, those same homes are five to 7 million bucks, right? So it's just, again, it's just like, um, now, interestingly, those rents have actually moved up. Um, so what I was getting into before with that whole rental compression thing, um using the west side but like yeah like a decent residence in a great locale inside the west side is definitely going for i would say a 20 percent premium north of where it would have gone before the pandemic um you know you're having that you're having this strong real estate market you're having this drive to higher square footages you're having this drive to having um you know non-stratified property um there's a bunch of factors at play but it's all shooting rents up and um again I, you know, it's not a super compelling pitch for the owners at the time, but certainly, you know, I think it is indicative of where renters are willing to pay to get themselves into something. And um, that's what we're seeing. Do you have just like in the buying market, do you have multiple offers on rentals? Uh, yes. Uh, so, yeah. So that's another thing, actually, I mean, again, we'll put that on the phase three of the uh, multi-part series here, but yes, uh, one of the things with rentals that most renters don't know is that just like anything you can bid on it um and let me tell you when i have five to ten people showing up at a place um you know in hillcrest or riley park or heather park or douglas etc um i let them know so it's like you know i don't want to break your heart um it's it's a first come first serve basis but you know my duties to my landlord or to my client who owns the home and ultimately i want to make sure it's a mixture between you know getting the highest amount rent we can but at the same time, of course, making sure that we're not um, we're not sacrificing any quality in the tenant in order to achieve that. Um, I've never run into an owner who's willing to kind of do that. Be like, yeah, let's go, let's go completely terrible people, but let's get as much as we can. No problems will ever come of that. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So, but I'll I'll let them know. And you know, the reason is because you know, if this is the home you want to be in, I don't want to get to a point where I tell you, sorry, you weren't approved, and then you tell me, well, I would have paid more. So I'd far rather just say, hey, tell me what you're willing to do, and I will at least bring that to you. And if you lose, it is what it is, but at least you're not going to sit there kicking yourself saying, oh, well, we could have gone more. Yeah, because yeah, certainly uh, on the on the buying side, the multiple offers are over. You know, it's sort it's of, 
and everyone uh, knows it but and the interesting thing in condos and these are not luxury condos but the condo market statistics in june show a 12 percent lower inventory but only against last year actually the inventory is almost a thousand units more than it was in 2018 so when you look sort of right. over four years in my Ozbuzz blog i put in usually those kind of numbers over four years so you have an idea that you don't compare yourself towards the COVID time, which was a mad time last year, but there was no reality. But if you look at 2019 and 2018, you've got a good idea as to where the market is. Maybe in the final thing is, so the guy or the girl that come in at 10 or 12,000 a month, so are they essentially, um, uh, well, I, will, I forget the short-term rentals because they have a real reason. They're here for six months or five months or their sure. the students are studying, all this kind of thing. But say for the one year plus what kind of people are there uh murderers no kidding um yeah no they're they're good people they're basically a, they're a mix so you're gonna get people who have sold as I was mentioning that's very common right now who are looking to uh either purchase something that they have fine right now the market's not giving that to them so they're gonna put their capital to work elsewhere in the meantime and rent uh two you're getting people who are building and that's actually really common where you're having essentially they bought a lot, but they're now they're gonna be like, okay, well, that's two and a half years. So now they're gonna look to lock in something and ensure that they can hold them through. Um, but at the same time, they're looking to rent something that's not gonna be a super big drop down from their current lifestyle. So the aesthetic of the home, so something that's 12 or 13 grand, something newer contemporary style, um, is much more in demand than something that would be, um, call it not that. And um, uh, so that's how you can kind of have these like, um, you know, micro markets that would occur for very specific product that are really heavily bid on. Um, and so yeah, those are two of the main primary ones. You also have people who just rent um, for whatever reason, a lot of entrepreneurs who uh, opt to have the vast majority of their capital tied up in yeah. um, operations that they feel totally comfortable with. Millennials um, speculate in Bitcoin, you know. So. <laughs> for sure. But, you know, the first sign of Bitcoin, I usually go for the hills. Um, I can't tell you how many people I get who are like, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm in crypto, blah, blah, blah. And uh, to me, that's just code for bad credit. Um, <laughs> it's just it's something there. Ultimately, uh, I find that crowd, um, you know, when you're dealing with people who are coming through uh, on a daily basis, I deal with 15 to 30 people a day. Right. And I work seven days a week. So you start running into a certain crowd where you realize, are they trying to sell me on them? Or am I just getting interesting answers back, right? And a lot of the time I find, depending on the crowd, they're trying to tell you about how they can totally prepay this whole thing, but they won't, um, or you know something like that. And the reason why they're actually doing it is because lo and behold, CRA is looking for them, or they haven't paid a bunch of bills, or something like that. So you're sort of and the buff, buffer in between the owner and the and the. It's tenant. the Brita filter. Because in I the end, you. they're all going to point the finger at you. He made me do this, right? So you have yeah, no, exactly. Well, and when I'm having conversations with owners, right, it's just like, well, did you get an application? Yes. All right, let's lock through it. Why are they moving? Who are they? How much do they earn? Where do they work, etc. And if I don't have tangible answers for that or I basically have to rely on the tenant to tell me that, yeah. like, it's just, it's, yeah. I'm not going to be sitting there pitching to an owner ever being like, oh yeah, absolutely. Cause it's not someone who I would rent to. And that's kind of the standard. I um, think that's you know, the same. Head. It's the same at the lower end. I rent uh, units out in Surrey and, and we have brand new buildings and we just rented a thousand square foot unit for 2,400. It's probably 
Yep. The expense of 4,000 square feet in Surrey, but has a great view and all that. But I'd rather leave it empty, as I said earlier, than have the wrong person in there, right? I mean, you want to know- But not empty for too long. Sorry? Right? That's the thing. It's like, yeah. but not empty for too long. Yeah, no, right? because it's, you, it's... no, not too for too long, but you want to have the research done. I think, you know, sure. it's been a great show. Um, we, we're going to put the, the uh, website and uh, can we put your your contact information as well? That Absolutely. Okay? We'll put that right not down problem. below if you look there. Of course, please, if you enjoyed this uh, podcast, I thought it was fascinating myself, um, that uh, put on the subscribe button, put on the push, push the bell, push the like button. And uh, I am so excited to have had the chance to talk to you. We've been trying to do this for a while because it is a different world, but it's a world mm -hmm. that is uh, really exciting and it's good to have an expert out there. Thank you very much. Anytime, Bob.